Cool. So, I mean, I think maybe to start it off um, is, is by introducing my mentor, <laughs> Mr. Charles Rupare. Um, and I'd, I'd, first and foremost, I want to appreciate your time, not just your time this morning, but the, the time that you've given me over the years. I think one of the things that I've learned recently is, is when you appreciate something, it actually appreciates, it grows, you know? And, yeah, that's true. And um, I've, I feel that there's a sense of appreciation that you've had for me as a person. Like, you've, you've seen me for me. Um, yeah, that's true. Not necessarily what you wanted to project onto me. Mm. And I just want to appreciate you, no, first appreciate and foremost. That. I think appreciating each other is a, is a key point of friendship, but I think it's also a key point of growth for for people because you learn through appreciating somebody yeah. now you learn from somebody's behavior somebody's way of thinking if you're open-minded you learn but if you're not open-minded that's when you start to judge so i think if you see somebody for who they are that is a that's a blessing that a lot of people don't uh, have mm. you know so mm. i appreciate you too brother should we go this way yeah okay yeah thank you thank you for that um and i think as as a next step for, from 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 that point of view, I found I was reading recently, uh, not reading in formal text, but you know just understanding this idea of the hero's journey, mm. um, and how we sort of go through the pit stops of life. You know, we sort of go through the ebbs and flows, and we find ourselves learning lessons that are very specific to to our personal growth. Mm. Um, and through those lessons, you know, I found that you kind of have to face a really deep, <laughs> you know, part of yourself where you really have to confront yourself. And in my journey, particularly, um, you know, that, that journey has come with, I think, you know, my personal story, I've gone through a divorce and yeah. gone through quite a few things that have been quite heavy in my life. But through that, I actually found a lot of strength to, you know, Shabazz Palaces talk about this idea of myth map to the trip back, mm. you know, myth map for the trip back, you know, and what I love about that is the, 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 the pit, like when you're at the bottom of the pit and you kind of have to find the strength to crawl out. Mm. Right? Mm. So I want to know, because I've known you for what, six years now? Mm. Um, but I never saw that part, you know, I never saw the dip, I've always seen the, the upside. Mm. <laughs> Do you want to talk a little bit about um, <laughs> if you've gone through the pits at all? Yes, I, I, I've gone through many, many pits in mm. my life. I think I've, I've gone through many pits from young age. But uh, I learned at a very um, early age, in my teen years, through books, really, that the, most, the strongest muscle you have is your inner strength. Mm. Uh, and if you can develop your inner strength, <clears throat> anything that comes your way, it might knock you down, but you see the world for what it is. You know, you see things for what it is. And over the years, I've sort of um, practiced that. So I don't, I don't project my my dips on on um, on any situation or moments because I I see things for what it is. You know, when one when one can see, you know, like I I've, I'm I'm very particular about uh, what happens in my life. The bad and the good but I, I pay my most attention to the smallest good that happened in my life and those smallest good they, they are they outweigh anything else 
So the way that I carry myself is always, I've gone through a dip, but it is what it is. I can't change that. But if I observe my life, I see little things that are changing, little blessings. And that gives me the strength um, for me not to, not to carry um, anything that is heavy. But I have gone through a lot of uh, heavy moments uh, from, from childhood. Right to today, you know, running your own business. I lost my mother about uh, 14 years ago. And that was quite a challenge uh, to, to lose your mother. Left with, with young siblings that are still growing up, you know. Managing family is also difficult. Relationships is difficult. But the, but the inner strength has been my, my guiding light. But also a lot of, a lot of text, a lot of reading um, from, from writers and, and people that, um, that inspire me. Uh, people that um, trying to create a path for you to see that nothing is insurmountable um, if you build your inner strength. That's, that's interesting because, you know, you talk about, I think we started this conversation with appreciation. You know, when you talk about the little blessings that even though you're going through all of this other stuff, you find that little blessing that you can hold on and say, actually, I appreciate this. Mm. And that in itself appreciates and grows and grows and grows. Right? Yeah. So I, I think, you know, that, that has been a really big part of my, my um, catharsis. Mm. Mm. <laughs> mm. Um, you know, to find those little things that you can actually say, actually, even though there's all of this stuff that's going on around me, I'm actually quite blessed. Mm, mm, you know, mm. And you see that, right? Mm. You appreciate it. Should we go this way? Just on that topic, <clears throat> don't you just appreciate this beautiful morning? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when you were supposed <clears throat> to be waking up at this time. <laughs> no, no, I appreciate beauty, you know? Yeah. It's beauty. But, uh, but, but you know the, the thing with, with beauty, like Thelonious Monk has, uh, has a song called Ugly Beauty. And when you listen to that song, the chords that he uses are beautiful and ugly at the same time. Yeah. Mm. And for a lot of us, we don't see beauty for what it is. But this kind of a morning, it is a great morning. Um, but, but do we see such, such thing as something that should not last until 9 o'clock or something that lasts until the next day? The mm. beauty that is, that is ingrained in your brain. But a lot of us, we don't see that. Mm. But I appreciate, appreciate every little thing that I, you know, the, the, thing about, the thing about appreciation, because I think that's a great topic, is that one must remove himself yes. from, from things that bind you. And you look at things for what they are, and you appreciate them for what they are. And I think that builds, it doesn't only build character, but, but it also builds your ability to love. Mm. Um, mm. Because of a lot of us, we don't, we don't have the ability to love because we nurture suffering. Mm. A lot of us. Yeah, we sort of rehearse it. Yes. We get into it. And but, but we nurture it as something that is precious because it gives me a feeling of power. You know, because like, like if I see you suffering, it gives me power because it, it makes me feel that, well, I'm better off than this guy. Yes. But then the saddest thing is that some of us do it to, to, to ourselves. So I think waking up in the morning and walking in a park when the sun is rising, that is ultimate beauty. But for a lot of us, that is not beautiful because it's intangible and it's, uh, it's natural and it's passing. So beauty resides in something physical, something, something acquirable, and mm. that becomes something. Yeah? That's interesting because, yeah, exactly that. I think, you know, 
we can get really caught up in oh i'm suffering but that person is actually doing worse than me so i'm better off yes, yes. <laughs> um where where i find that we talk about pain and suffering and uh, you know conversations that i've had with friends and just people around there's usually this idea of you know we're in a state of constant pain but actually there's so much beauty around us and we don't see it and we're almost like we rehearse the pain which then leads to suffering instead of just looking at the pain and as as as, as a point of feedback really because mm. all pain is is just a is to show you oh okay this is this is some feedback that that your life or your body or your spirit or your mind mm. is giving you, right? Mm. Mm. Um, for you to be able to learn. But when you start rehearsing it, that's when you actually suffer. Yeah. Because yes. you, you keep going back to that space and you're like, ah, you know? But it's not, it's not a, I think to be fair to humanity, is that human beings are stupid <laughs> inherently. And when I say stupid, I'm not quantifying it through what we term intelligence, yes. which is education, status, the ability to, to reason in, a, in an environment that is constructed. Um, I think stupidity comes in from the ability to, to recognize your, your consciousness mm. and to be in tune with your consciousness and to realize that your consciousness, like, um, like a rose, can blossom and, and wither and it will blossom again. And that is the cycle of life. Yes. So when suffering happens, we don't realize that as human beings, we are meant to suffer by, by being placed in an environment like, like the earth that is, that is complex, that is mysterious, that is hidden. In many ways, we're meant to suffer. But like, like, the, like the rose, it comes and goes. It comes and goes. Mm. You, you are meant to suffer. But we don't accept the fact that we are, we're meant to suffer. We spend most of our time trying not to suffer, mm. and yet the act of that trying not to more suffer, the act of not yeah. of, of trying not to suffer is already suffering. Yes, you know, it's it's like the act of going out out of your way to buy the most beautiful cars because your friends have nicer cars mm. and you're trying to belong. And to you, that act seems like you're you're on the path of progress, but you're actually on the path of suffering. Mm. So I think that the ability to let go and to see, as you said. Suffering is, is a point of feedback is, uh, is important, but we are not that way designed. We are designed that way, but our consciousness is numb. It's, so therefore, yeah. we place value on things that we think are going to give us relief, but actually they're just enhancing the suffering. Yeah. Do you think that's part of, or part of the reason that is, is, you know, it's, it's you know, I've, I've seen this, even with myself before, I'm more comfortable with it now. But, um, you know, this idea of being alone in your own space and finding your essence, essentially. A lot of people are very, very much afraid to, to go into that zone, to be alone. Mm. Uh, and I'm not talking about just, you know, solitary um, living or whatever the case may be, but just to be silent and be quiet and, mm. and know who you are. Mm. Do you think it has something to do with that? When, yes. when there's so much noise around us? Yes, it does. Like the Chinese, they talk about the idea of cultivation. That you have to cultivate yourself for you to, to realize either your, your potential or for you to realize a, a vision for yourself. 
but but cultivation does not come from uh, um, uh, from the external. Yes. It, it comes from the internal. Yeah. So being alone with by yourself and with your thoughts allows you to cultivate um, your character and your, your ability to see things uh, the way that you, you see them. But I think for a lot of us, being alone is negative. Yeah? Yes. Being alone it's like, feels oh, like you're, you're a loser <laughs> or you're a failure or you, people don't want to be around you or you just don't want, or you, you've got some serious problems. But I think the, uh, the ability to be alone, I, I do it all the time. Mm. Uh, I go to the park and I sit there for half the day reading or writing or, or just sitting there and contemplating because that's cultivation. Because you have to pause, you know, there's so much noise in the world that you have to pause and pull out of it and, and re recalibrate yourself uh, uh, in the way that you see things and then go back in. Mm. But you're never going to cultivate yourself in, 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 in situations um, because some of us we think cultivation of yourself comes from interacting with others listening to others yes that's a part of it but ultimately you you came into the earth by yourself and you go out by yourself yes. and one has to cultivate themselves so the the word cultivation for me is so important because i've i've seen it as a as a way to to build character to build you know for you to reconcile i mean we spoke about appreciation earlier on and appreciation for me it's it's part of that when when you're by yourself you discern certain things, you know, but it's an act of discerning the good that you see and the strength that you see in yourself, you know, because you're, 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 you're like, you know, like karate, mm. say karate means empty hands. Mm. It means that all you have are your hands to protect, do everything. It's just your hands. And I think the same applies to people. All you have is yourself. Yes. So if you don't build yourself and find the space for yourself, you, you don't grow. So being alone is actually quite important because it does allow you to, to take one step. But also, it gives you the practice of tapping into your consciousness. You know, because if you are with others in, in, in situation, you don't tap in. Everything is baseline. Everything is, 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 is basic. Everything is based on uh, the tangible, the, the visual. You know, the, there's, there's a lot of comparison. There's a lot of trying to be something that you're not. But if you're by yourself, the ability to cultivate your inner self becomes very important. You know? That's interesting because, I mean, as you're talking, I'm thinking about the irony in, in self-cultivation is, is that you actually develop a huge capacity to, um, to appreciate and to love and to be compassionate um, and to actually see people for who they are. And when you in that state, people are sort of drawn to you in, in, in a strange kind of way. Yes. Um, because there's, a, there's an element that they might, they might see in you that they might be missing because they're not going through that practice. Yeah. So that's interesting. I mean, I've been drawn to people that have uh, almost like a salience about them, like a, you know, a serenity, um, a comfort. Maybe I'm using the wrong word in comfort, but they just are comfortable with themselves, you know? And I think that comes from that practice that you're talking about, the self-cultivation. Uh, and I'm drawn to those kinds of people because it's, it's, it's a quality that, that, that I aspire to gain in my, in, in my own personal capacity. But what's also interesting is, you know, I've seen a sense of unlearning um, from just observing over the years. 
you have this ability to unlearn whatever's around and whatever's thrown at you and and you're able to create from a position of of learning new things by mm. letting go of old things mm. um so i just want you to talk about that where does that come from <laughs> it, it comes from my imagination <laughs> it's true it actually comes from my imagination yeah. when i was when i was um six i i became aware of one of my uncles who was a, a, a teacher in the library of books, and he would ask me to read these books. He, well, he didn't ask me, he ordered me to read these books. <laughs> because before that he was a soldier, so he was a bit of a scary man to me, so following instructions from him was the most important thing. So he'd ask me to read these books, but he would give me these fantastical books, like the, the Homer's Odyssey was one book, uh, uh, Homer's Iliad was another book that I would read. And my imagination was sparked greatly because in these books, I guess at a young age, in those books, I saw the ability to be anything. Because these stories that I was reading, they seemed too good to be true. And yet these men were performing these acts. But to me, they were too good to be true. And then I'll read other books. And then they'll show me something similar, that the, the, these people are living and acting and, and interacting with something that for me seemed too good to be true. Mm. And then I read more books. So over the years, all these books that I, I, I've been reading, they, they were like that. So then I thought to myself that as a human, human vessel, you are, you are like a jug, you know? You can put water, and then you can empty it. And you, and you can put more water, and you can empty it. And I've been practicing that, that if I learn something new, and I practice it, and I use it, and it comes to a point when that thing is no longer relevant, and I have to go into something else. Like the books, the only act is that I must create a space for, for new learning, which means I must try and purge what I've learned before. You know? mm. So that's one thing. The other thing is that I've always believed, and also growing up, um, especially with my, with, my grand, with my grandfather, who for me, did not appear to, on the surface, I mean, he didn't go to school. I think he did sub A and sub B and all that. <laughs> and yet, his knowledge of things that our term are for the learned was outstanding. So I, I, I always marveled at his ability to, to grasp a topic that I think belongs to professors in economics. Mm. But he would talk about it in a way that almost appears like he's a practitioner of that particular topic. Yes. Which means that he knew how to add and to subtract. So that, the idea of adding and subtracting became important. But also, knowledge is infinite. Um, and I guess your, your mind is like a library where yeah. you store information and you check it away or you, or you keep it. So the idea of unlearning, I think unlearning makes you a better human being. You, you reinvent yourself through unlearning. So if, I, if, I'm, if I'm performing an act, I have to understand and learn that particular thing and do it. But if I change to another act, I have to unlearn everything for me to, to try to, to the best of my ability to exist in that new act with sincerity. Yeah. The only way that you can exist in that, in that new act with sincerity is to try to purge what doesn't belong. You know, Reality. Like, we look at reality, like 
this is reality. Huh? But what is true reality? I think there's a difference, isn't it? Mm. Between re the true reality here is that it's wet. Yeah? On the ground. The, the sun is coming out. On it's, a bit, the park. It, it, it's still a bit chilly, mm. but it's wet on the ground. And it, if I'm walking, uh, my, my shoes might get wet. But the reality is that it's a beautiful morning. Mm. The sun is coming out and it, it's, it's beaming over the, the, the trees and the grass and it's creating a mirage. So the, but the true reality is that it's wet, mm. but the sun is coming out. So mm. for a lot of us, we're we are selective in terms of how we see true reality. You know, so for example, if I'm a minister of education and I'm creating a, a syllabus of education in 2019, what kind of children am I dealing with? The fact that they're children is not the point. But the point is they're children who are existing in a particular context and time with a, with a very interesting true reality. If one cannot exist in that space, you, know, you can't add value. But if you don't unlearn what you know, you don't go anywhere. So yes. the idea of unlearning, I think, is a practice that every person should actually have. So I think I'm kind of getting this, I, you know, you, I'm going back to the word that you used, um, the word stupid. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm understanding it contextually. Um, it's almost like operating in a completely new context, but using old rules to operate in that context yes. and therefore not finding the peace or the reality to actually yes. exist yes. in this space because yes. the space requires completely different ways of thinking um, different ways of discerning and i think i'm understanding it i think i'm getting it sir. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I, I mean so i, I want to talk about the group um you know we always have herds um that we operate in in society uh, but we also have the individual right so the herds mm. being gender, race, um, all of these different things that, that hold us into this human experience that we're all going through. Uh, and then there's the, the, the solitary, which is, you know, self-experience, self-education, all of these things. In the context of unlearning, I find that there's a lot of unlearning that still needs to be done from a group perspective where we find ourselves operating you know in a, in a space of us them this that i don't know if you've experienced that but do you have any thoughts on on just this idea of finding new ways of thinking within these contexts that i that i talk about like for instance humanity as a species really is one species and yet this one species has all these different gradients um, that we go through, gender being one of them, race being another. Do you find that... Yeah. Should we go this way? I want to get to the pot. Okay. Do you find that there's, there's still a separation or a perceived separation that that might need to be unlearned for us to be able to, to move through? And, and what do you mean by perceived separation? Just there's an element of... You are that, therefore, I can't mess with you, you know? Mm. Um, I am this, therefore, you mm. know? Mm. In your experience, have you found that? And, and how have you found yourself moving through that? Interestingly enough, I have not found that in yeah. my life. I have not. I think the idea of separation, uh, I think, first of all, it's man-made. Mm. 
uh, based on. And it's, it's not a, a negative statement, it's, it's man-made. Uh, it's man-made because the nucleus, where you are born, who you interact with, what you are taught, the values that, you, that are instilled with you within that nucleus. And if you step out of it, you engage with other uh, values and other ways of existence that might seem unf unfamiliar. But the natural thing for a basic mind is to separate because they're unfamiliar. But also you perceive them as, as, as things that don't add value to your own life because they're unfamiliar. Mm. But I've never, but I haven't really, ex I, I mean, I've seen it, but in my own life, the idea of the collective and the individual for me is uh, 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 um, not interchangeable, but they are one thing. Uh, because you need to learn from the other for you to grow. But I guess as people, separation is the easiest thing to do. You know, because it doesn't require, it doesn't require too much work. You know, because for you to, for you to, to integrate and see everybody as, as one, as one unit, requires for you to take on new, new learnings. It requires for you to take on set new levels of tolerance uh, and acceptance and the ability to, to make the complex simple and, and to try to see the complex and unfamiliar as, as a gift uh, of, of growth. But I, but I have not really uh, seen separation in my own life. Because I guess the way, the way that I've always carried myself uh, with people is that the, the way that you present yourself to people, most of the time, is the way that they treat you. Uh, and I think everybody, it doesn't matter who you are, it's in, at some point in your being, uh, at some level in your being, you want to belong, isn't it? Mm. You want to be accepted. You want to be understood, you know? So you kind of have to learn the rules of whatever the context that needs to you yes, know, accept yes, you. <laughs> yes, you have to learn the rules. Uh. But I think that there, there are no rules uh, mm. except there's one rule, which is which is um, love, uh, because I think the the capacity to love creates an environment for you to accept and for you to reconcile something that you don't know, but also see it as something that is harmless. Because I think when you see somebody that is different from you, your first instinct is that they're going to harm you. Mm. That's the first instinct. Mm. They might harm you physically. They might harm you emotionally or they could do other things that will harm you in some way. So therefore, you, you have to be cautious. And, and yes, one has to be cautious, but actually one does not need to be cautious if the way that you present yourself uh, is clear. So with me, I don't know what it is, but if I meet a person, I see there, maybe, maybe it's too many years of contemplation about, about things, but I see... I see the person for who they are, and I behave accordingly. Uh, so if I, if, I, if I meet a Chinese person, I don't see a Chinese person. I see a person with, um, with a particular capacity of humanity that in my, in, my, in my eyes could be grand, it could be flawed, it could be sad, it could be joyful, it could be exhilarating, it could be inspiring, but that's what I see. Then I, then I try and act with that, you know, because, I'm, because I think the first thing that I, a person that looks at the collective as an individual is to try to make the member of the collective 
feel whatever you are and whoever you are is enough. Mm. And that's a good base to start. Mm. And if you are going to build any relationship, let's use that base to start. But I'm not going to compare you to myself and say, ah, look at Keith. You know, hey, this guy, you know, he's, he's a Zulu and I'm a Kosa. And, ah, but you know, the Zulus are like this. Because now I'm using cultural markers that are not true, but they appear true because through this nucleus, They've been, they've been planted, it's true. So I, I start to judge it from that perspective. And yet, as you said from the beginning, that um, we are one, you know, we are, humanity is, is just, it, it's one humanity. There's not much of a difference except where you're born, where you're born in the color of your skin, really doesn't mean anything. Because ultimately, I think for, um, for, for any creature, you know, that exists, it's about relationships, you know, ultimately. It's really about that, yeah. you know, because... Because uh, that's how you... We're, we're, not, we're not designed to be alone. We're, we're designed to be part of a herd. We're cultural creatures. You know, yeah. yeah. We're designed to be part of a herd. And your role in that herd is, is defined by your, by your herd. But we're designed to belong to a herd. But I think that, that also creates this separation between the individual and the collective because we start to look at at, at my position like you know like a like a, like a lion with its with its pride uh, it protects its pride because it is trying to create some identifier mm. it's trying to assert as the male its position but that act within within the tribe creates some strange cubs you know, because now they're, they're looking at this action as, as the way to, to be. So therefore, if I step out of my, my nucleus, I must protect my identity. I must project my identity. I must sell my identity. I must try all I can to make my identity feel like it is the most important identity in humanity. And yet, that identity is not different from the next person. The only difference is that my nucleus taught me certain things based on context and time and, and geographical position. Mm. That, that actually reminds me of um, a conversation we had a couple of years ago. You know, we were talking about this idea of conformity and how that is, is suicide, you know? Conformity is, is like suicide to the soul, the spirit. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when you talk about the, the, the idea of a collective being beautiful because of the individuals that, that thrive in that community or that collective. I sort of see this conversation coming up again in my head, which is when you conform to the, the idea or the projected or the practiced idea of that collective, that's actually when you're conforming. And that's, that's probably why we're actually experiencing this mass suicide <laughs> that's, that's currently happening in, in, in our culture. Um, where people would see themselves as, you know, us and see the other as the them. Mm. Um, do, do, do you think that has a lot to do with this conform, conf, you know, this idea of conforming to the collective? I don't think so. Mm. I think that's, that's a part of it. But I think that the biggest Im influence is, is the drive to become the dominant in the collective. Uh. That's, that's what, okay. uh, and look at every conflict in the world, 
it's always driven by either an individual who is part of a particular group of, of a collective that is trying to be dominant. With their, so by saying that my way and our way is the way. Mm, and if you don't there's learn, no other way than And this. if you don't learn our way, if you don't follow our way, you are lost, you are worthless, and you don't belong. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, so I, I think that, that drives a lot of this mass suicide you're talking about. Because I, I guess everybody, naturally, you think your way is the best way. You think that your cultural codes are the best cultural codes. And you look at everybody else's cultural codes as either barbaric, backward, uh, non-progressive, -pro they don't add value to anything. So therefore, I feel like mine is the most important thing. And yet, we all have a part to play in our own identity. I mean, can you imagine if the best of everybody, based on their background, their cultural belonging, their outlook on life, if everybody brought a little piece of something positive to the picture, into this cauldron of something, that would be a beautiful thing. Yes. You know? But, again, because we are stupid, we cannot do that because we don't see... I don't, you don't, it's, it's very rare for somebody to, so actually there's two types of human beings. Eh? There's one that stands in the individual and they feel that there's somebody who aspires to be like an Einstein from that perspective, which is very mental. Um, that my, my brain and my ability to think is so unique to me and it's a gift to me that everybody must have it. I must share it so much. And sharing is good, but it's bad when you feel that that sharing must be compulsory. So that's, there's that kind of a person. And then there's a one who feels that my collective way of existence and things is the most important thing and that thing must dominate. So now you have these two forces, mm. you know, that coexist every single day that are fighting from that perspective. There's somebody who's coming and saying, hey, and, and, and that is supposed to make me feel like what? Like I must bow down to you because I must inherently know that as a Zulu person, your culture is much more important. Then you have one who says, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pedi, uh, and as a pedi, that means something. And we exist in this constant conflict where the individual in, in one part is trying to be the dominant, and then the collective in some other parts is trying to be the dominant. Like I look at, like I look at uh, Kenya and, and Tanzania, where in Kenya, the Kenyans say they speak pure Swahili. Uh -huh. But the Tanzanians speak fake Swahili. And if you go to Tanzania, the Tanzanians say, oh, we speak pure Swahili, but the Kenyans speak a fake Swahili. So if you're talking to these people, there's already on a different, clash. On different parts, you're, you're getting a sense from a Kenyan that I'm looking down on the Tanzanian because they speak a fake Swahili. If you go over here, they're like, we're looking down on Kenyans because we speak Swahili. And yet when you listen to them, they're speaking the same thing. <laughs> you know, I might not know the, the nuances of the language, but it's the same thing. Yes. They are in, in proximity to each other. They are connected by their position and they will never be separate. Lesoko Rampolo Gang says in one of his poems that um, I think it was one written post-94 and he says, welcome to the, to the new consciousness where we utilize everyone. Because mm, 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 everyone has a part to play. Yes, and that statement stuck with me. Because of, of exactly what you've just said. But some of us, we see people that are trying to be like that. It's weak, mm. you know. As people that are misguided. Uh, and people actually, maybe 
people that are suspicious because maybe you're empty yourself. That's what you're trying to, you know, find something in everybody because you're not strong in your own identity. Yes. And yet, there's only one identity, which is a human identity, you know? Yeah. yeah. That's interesting because, yeah, it's... <laughs> there's, a, there's almost the, the, the... I don't know if this is even a separation, you know, between intellect and experience. When we, we go into a, a mode of knowing all these things because we've practiced them, um, you know, from all these cultural differences that we have or whatever the case may be, or maybe we might have been taught by our parents or by society or you know the experience of actually going within and finding different ways to exist and different ways of thinking or different capacities to be able to mm. you know exist within yourself but also be able to to love others yeah um you know i've, I've been interested in this idea of just experience on mm. on, on just a, a very very visceral level where you Stop intellectualizing and stop thinking <laughs> and feeling rather than, you know, thinking all the time. Mm. And I think that's a capacity that I've had to definitely grow in my own, in my own experience. Which is, you know, uh, before we started this conversation, we were talking about this idea of I haven't read a lot in the past year, as in books, literature, mm. but I've been reading so much in other things. You know, I've been reading in, in my own experience. I've been, I've been quiet. I've been writing, um, and I've been sort of reading myself, really. You know, expanding in my own capacity. Mm. Um, there's, there's, there's a beauty in in, 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 growing that capacity and just finding a new way to think and a new way to learn. And what I found is part of the reason why I've started skating again recently mm. Mm. is. Just that, you know, the, the idea of practice, um, it's wet over here. Uh, yeah. Uh, let's walk. Yeah, let's walk. The idea of practice is, is so interesting to me because what happens with practice is that you... It's a beautiful morning. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's what I wanted to see. You want to yeah. see? Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's facing the east. Yeah. It's always nourishing, isn't it? Yeah, well, let's face it. Yeah, um, yeah just the idea of practice is, is beautiful because you, you learn by doing rather than learning by intellect because mm. mm. what I find is that when you learn by doing there's there's a, a new capacity that you grow whereas when you learn by intellect you you can see things but you don't really grasp them because you're not actually doing them right? so what's the purpose of intellect I, I think there is a purpose um, I mean I might I might what I might, is intellect I might be over exaggerating but I think what in my personal capacity, in my own personal experience, I found practice slightly more useful than intellect. <laughs> I think intellect is useful, in but way? I think, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it isn't. Maybe it isn't. <laughs> but let me, let, let me talk about practice. So pra I'm going to go back to the idea of skating, right? I mean, I, I didn't learn skating at a young age. I learned about maybe two years or three years ago. Uh, but then I kind of let it go. And then I went back to it this year. And I've been practicing, you know, the different slides, uh, you know, going downhill, all these things. But what I found is that you, you almost have to break down the level of understanding of that process into little chunks, mm. right? Mm. And you practice that. And incrementally, your understanding grows. Mm. 
and that's such a useful thing that once you get into it, it's almost like you get into a, a state of flow in a, in a way, you know? Mm-hmm. Whereas with intellect, I've never found that happening, actually, now that you, now that you say that. I, you know, yes, you understand, but there's a, there's a mental block that happens because now that I understand this, I'm going to put this in the ground and that's it, you know? Mm. This, is, this is my way of thinking and that's your way of thinking. Hence the clash that we were talking about mm. earlier on, mm. right? Whereas experience just gives you an, a capacity to open I up. I mean, experience comes from somewhere, mm. but, but it comes from some intellect, some intelligence. But I think where intelligence goes wrong is when it's trying to be bottled and replicated, mm. which becomes intellect. Like if you look at intellectuals, these are, these are people that have tried to bottle in, in intelligence from different sources and, and making it natural. But practice is also based on intelligence, mm. but it's natural intelligence. It's reasoning and logic and, and seeing things. And I guess that's the best teacher, you know, to, to work with, 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 to exercise your intellect in practice. Because there's a capacity of intelligence in everybody, but it's the ability to be able to practice. So practice is the best teacher, because through practice one learns mistakes, but one grows. But only if you look at it as natural, mm. which, which is where also the, the idea of unlearning becomes important. Because a lot of us, we don't look at practice as natural. We look at practice as, as, a, as the opportunity to compound so that we can become more intelligent. Mm. But, mm. but practice, I think practice is mostly based on instinct. So we're talking about the, the capacity to unlearn. And, and relearn new things. But it, it comes also from your instinct. Uh, like, do you trust your brain or your gut? Some people um, pride themselves that, you know, m- my gut is telling me this. Some will talk about their brain, but I think the combination of the two yes. uh, 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 come, come to play. But the only way to exercise them is through practice. Uh, so the, I think the idea of, of practice is important. I've learned in my life like, I can say, the way that I think is self-taught, it doesn't come from, yes, I've been to the business schools, I've done all this stuff, but the way that I truly think, I was saying to one of my colleagues yesterday, what is your process of thinking? Uh, and, and she said, but what do you mean? And I said, your process of thinking is your own. It's something that you cultivate for yourself, a process of thinking. But that process of thinking comes from practice for you to hone in into something. But you can never have a process of thinking that is based on some predefined thing. Like you look at all the business people and they will tell you that you go from here to here to there to there for you to get somewhere. That is your opinion. That is how you see things for yourself. But practice can, can allow me to build my own way of thinking. But, they, but, but then actually, um, practice makes you a, a, a valuable contributor to the collective and to people, um, because only then can you be original. Yes. You know? but, but for a lot of us, the idea of being original seems to be out of reach, because we are afraid of our own capability. We are afraid of our own uh, shortcoming, and we try and balance that by, mm. by holding on to something that is, that is a conjured way of You know of the same thing about, about pe- people? They are perfect <laughs> in every way. Okay, what do you mean by that? You're, you're perfect. Mm. The, I, I think the capacity of the human body and the human brain, it is superior, but 
From our first cry at birth to our last breath at death, we are not taught or believe that we are like that. But we are taught that we are like that based on things that are put into your head. Mm. You know, we are mm. taught that you are So superior. you kind of have to have these and these and these and like, then you'll be perfect. You are taught, like last night I was speaking to my, my, my own mentor in, in Namibia and she was saying to me that she, she's, she's got a partner, a mutual friend in, in Botswana that she's, she's brought into the picture as a partner, a business partner. And, but she judged this person because of where they've worked and what they've studied. So, so prescriptions. Yeah. So, <laughs> but, but now the partnership is now live, which means you must act. So she went over there on Tuesday to say, okay, let's start to do this thing. So she said, when she got there, she's like, ah, this person is so slow. They're not doing anything. They just, I mean, they're, they're even forgetting that when you're going to a meeting, you must have. You must understand whether the technology speaks to your own devices. She's very laid back. She's like, she did a master's degree. She's about to do a PhD, but she's actually useless to me. <laughs> <laughs> and I say to her, well, you, you were using the wrong cues to, to evaluate her. It's not about that she's doing a PhD. Because at the end of the day, it's the ability to understand that as a person, without all these things, I am perfect and my ability to to do anything without all the other things is exponential mm. because i mm. think whoever made us because i don't know who made us mm. probably the person that made us probably an alien i think <laughs> because we have the power of replication isn't it we have the power of adding and removing everything you know our brains have the power to remove and add remove and reconstruct, reconfigure, permute, mutate, and, and our own bodies have the ability to heal and to grow and to be stronger and to be... So we are actually self-contained unit, mm. per perfect in every way. I love that. Um, I, I was listening the other day to Eckhart Tolle speaking, um, and he, he presented this idea that each of us um, sort of like the universe expressing itself in its own way through, you know, through the mm. individual different parts of us. Mm. Um, so when you say that, I'm thinking exactly that, that it's how can something so vast and so grand as the universe that we live in produce something that's useless? That's, that's impossible. Yes, yes, <laughs> it's yes. actually impossible. Mm. Um, you know, and, and I think that's my observation of some of the context um, that we live in is that people sort of come from this position of lack. I lack, therefore I must. You know, that's why even New Year's resolutions, people do, um, oh, I must be a new me. And it's like, but you're perfect already. Like, mm. <laughs> you just mm. need, you, there's, there's, there's a capacity that you, you might need to expand into, but you as a person are already perfect. You're enough. But I guess the sad thing about humanity based on that is that whoever made us, was actually quite cruel. <laughs> or maybe whoever made us has put us on a cycle of learning, a very long cycle of learning, because we cannot unlock our higher consciousness, no matter if we try, we can't. And that is what stunts us into the stupid people, because we, we can't unlock. We can't unlock our, our, our higher consciousness. So 
we exist in this in this place where what we start to use is very confusing you know like we've been speaking about appreciation about uh, unlearning about strength in love we've been speaking about all these things that when they are combined they should represent higher consciousness isn't it and yet the ability to tap into a higher consciousness we we don't have it you know i think human beings must also i think have the capacity to forgive themselves for they do not know what they do am i wrong <laughs> i think yeah i think there's there's an interesting um Again, I'm going to go back to experience, you know. Um, I was talking to some friends of mine the other day, and I was talking about this idea of separation. You know, we, we spoke a little bit about that, and, and, and separation as, as an illusion, an experience. And I said our evolution, you know, is, is, is actually through experience. It doesn't happen in any other way except actually going through experience and actually feeling for yourself. Uh, no matter what you might learn from the scriptures or business books or, or even, you know, the esoteric books that some of us may read, you actually have to go through it. And, and I made an example. I was like, at a particular point in my life, for instance, I was homophobic because I was practicing a set of rules that allowed me to be part of a particular group of people. Um, and I identified as that. But through, for some reason... That changed because of an experience um, or experiencing people that might not be living the same lifestyle as me um, and actually experiencing them as people, not necessarily as the other. And through that, you know, my, my homophobia actually disappeared because, again, experience. And I said, if that's the case, what more can experience actually teach us? I mean, right now we might be living through a particular set of rules that might even change in future, right? Mm -hmm. Through experience. But where suffering actually comes is when we, we hold on to that idea. No, I will not change from this because this allows me to be in this group and, you know? Um, so that, that's interesting to me that you, you talk about that. Where was I? <laughs> where were we, by the way? <laughs> I've even forgotten what we talk about. Change is a very scary thing. Mm. I think a lot of us would, would, would rather not change. Mm -hmm. A lot of us rather not change because I think I think we're all on a mission to 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 find the to find the perfect recipe for ourselves. Mm. Mm. Like we're on a mission, and it's and it's every little thing. It's your body, it's your mind, it's your it's your family, it's your wife, it's your children, it's your job, it's your house, it's your car, it's your dogs, it's everything. We're looking for the perfect recipe. But what we don't realize is that the, the act of finding the perfect recipe means it, everything is, is always changing. But we're afraid of change. Mm. Um, because we feel like, okay, it's either I want to be on a quest to find the perfect recipe, or I, I, I would rather not get myself into that uh, uh, dizzy state of, of change. So I must, I must settle for what I have. You know? mm. but, but when you settle for what you have, the problem with that is that now you're going to start to look over there and you'll be like, hey, but you got more. <laughs> okay, but I think that's better. Or, or I, I think, I, think I, I, I want to be like that. And then you become this strange human being that, that does not exist as themselves. 
but they are driven by this desire to to take from everybody to create your own perfect person. Mm. And I think change is the one thing that as people, we must we must accept that from the moment that you 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 take your first breath and your last breath. That is the one thing that you can be guaranteed. Mm. But how you, but how you look at change, is is different from everybody. So there's accumulation, which, which is change, isn't it? Accumulation of things could be seen as change. Um, subtraction can also be seen as change. And then they say change is the only constant that can also be seen as change in itself. So. Like changes are only constant. Like I, I never understand that statement. Do you understand that statement? I, I think from intellectually it doesn't make sense, but I think from experience it, it makes perfect sense. It's only constant. Yeah. Change. I, 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 the reason why I say from experience it makes perfect sense is um, um, um is when you when you look at fire, for instance, you know, fire flames. It appears to be a constant fire, right, as it burns, but actually it's forever changing. It's never in the same state. <laughs> it's mm. constantly changing. Mm. Um, and that's exactly even, even, even true to us. Like right now, as we're sitting, our bodies are constantly changing. The air that flows through us, over us. Um, so for me, that statement will be better if it says change is inevitable. Mm. I think that's a better way to consume that statement. Okay. Okay. Then change is constant. I see what you're saying. You know? yeah. Because if you say to me, change is constant, I don't participate in that statement. Mm. It doesn't mean anything to me. Mm. It doesn't, I have to think about it, but it doesn't make me realize what, what, but if I say change is inevitable, it makes me It's, it's it almost, it's awakening actually. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. It's actually going to happen. <laughs> yes, yes. Because now you look at it from a different perspective that, okay, yeah, it's, it's yeah. inevitable, so therefore I must embrace, yeah. I must brace my, my change is constant, it doesn't really give you that. Yeah. So I think some of this, some of these terms that we use as people yeah. um, contribute to this stupidity, <laughs> don't you think? <laughs> Maybe that's why I was raising intellect versus experience earlier on. <laughs> You know, because they, they do create this stupidity in us where we start to believe uh, in the other things. Yeah. You know, like my my favorite, um, well, not my favorite, one of my go-to person philosopher is, um, there's, there's a few of them, actually, mm. but Cornel West stands out for me. He stands out for me not because he's an, intell he's an intellectual and, and he's very obvious, but he's very practical. Mm. with the way that he thinks mm. and he places context into his thought and he places himself into situations i think that there's a there's a place for learn there's a there's a space for learning but but there's a space for contextual learning you know? and i think a lot of us we don't we're not exposed to contextual learning we're exposed to academic learning and then we're exposed to cultural learning and i think both of them um are Positive and negative at the same time. Mm, life's beautiful contradictions. Yeah. <laughs> but life is not beautiful. I, I think life is messy. <laughs> but the beauty is in the mess, mm. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> That's a good way to end it. Yeah. The beauty is in the mess. Thank you. <laughs>